turn your Bibles uh, over to the book of Genesis. We're going to be spending a good bit of time there today as we look at the people of faith out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, I'm sorry for not being here last week, but I was running fever and coughing and sneezing, and I didn't think you all would want me to do that on you, so I decided to stay home and not share. Unfortunately, my wife this morning has inherited it, so uh, she's homesick. Let's pray as we begin our study this morning. Father, we're always so thankful that we have access to your very throne because of the blood of Jesus. We're so thankful that we have your word that we can study and better understand how that you love us and how that you work things out for us so that we can be called your children and that we can call you Abba Father. We're thankful that Jesus was so willing to die on the cross and his blood was shed that our sins might be forgiven. We're so thankful for your grace, Father, and your mercy because we are a sinful people. We ask that you help us to die to sin daily and to try to emulate you in all things that we do and say. Bless our study today, we ask, Father. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. We talked about how that it's important for the Hebrew Christians to understand the hope that they have and the assurance that they had. And so then the Hebrew writer began to tell in chapter 11 all the people of faith that they needed to remember in their heritage that would strengthen them and help them and encourage them to, to remain and persevere and stay faithful unto death. We looked at Cain and Abel, and we saw how that Abel brought the best that he had and gave it to God, and Cain gave God what he wanted to have, but not his best. And so we saw the result of that is Cain rose up and killed his brother and let sin creep in. It's interesting in, the, at, in Genesis chapter 4, as that chapter ends, it's, it's almost a profound statement that Moses writes here. He says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. We see all the transgressions that happened with Cain, uh, the problems that was there, but it said that people were seeking out or they were calling on God to uh, Elohim to look after them. And then we go through seven generations of, of people before we see anything really mentioned about those that are pursuing are really in being enhanced with their purpose in their life with God, and that's with Enoch. And it, let's look over in uh, chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became a father of Methuselah, Enoch, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Now, in the Hebrew there, it says that he pursued God. It wasn't that he just walked with God. It says that he pursued a fellowship with God. So in his life, 
It says here, when he was 65, he became the father of Methuselah, but it says he walked with God for 300 years. Now, he was an example to the, to the church here that, look, that he was such a godly man that God chose to take him without him suffering death. And so God took him because of that fellowship that he had with him. And then Jude quotes Enoch. So we know that in Enoch's life, there was something that he was doing in the community in which he lived. And as he went about his life pursuing God, that he was doing, uh, talking about what was going on. In Jude 14, I believe it is. Let's look over there real quick. Uh, He talks. Of, he 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 was prophesying about what was going to happen uh, later on. And Jude quotes Enoch. He says, "Enoch, the seventh son of Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of holy angels to judge everyone and to correct all the ungodly of their ungodly acts." They that have done in their ungodly way and all the harsh words and ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, in his generation, in part of his time, we see a shift in, in the, the response that people are having to God. In the, at the end of chapter 4, it says that people were walking or, or, or seeking after God. Then we see now in the uh, latter part, just before it talks about Enoch there, that how... In chapter 6, it tells us how wicked people had become, that they had turned away. And so while Enoch was living, he was proclaiming to them that, look, God's going to bring judgment because of how you speak about God and how you disregard God. And that. So, uh, and then Jude is reminding the early Christians that those that do the same thing are going to have the same fate. So it was really important that we see a man that was walking and pursuing God was sharing with people that how that they too needed to pursue God. Not that he just did it by himself. He wasn't in a fishbowl. He tried to encourage all those around about him to do that. And the Hebrew writer is trying to help them understand that because he is, was that kind of a man, that they could be that kind of person. That they could be people that pursued God. Because he believed that God existed and that God rewarded those that diligently sought after him. And so that's what made him a great man of faith. Even though as his generation aged, they became people that said, I don't want God. I want to forsake God. I want to do the things that I want in my own life instead of following God. And as a result, we see what's going to happen in chapter 6. So... He walked with God 365 years, it says. And then God took him away. And we see the great faith that he exhibited, and we see it also illustrated by, by uh, Jude. Then we come to a man named Noah. I don't know if any of you ever, have any of you ever seen the uh, replica, or I know there's some license with it, but the replica of the ark in uh, out in Kentucky or whatever it is that I, I went we, we took all four grandkids and my wife and I we, we sometimes I think we really aren't very smart I, I just want to know that because 
I think they were two, four, seven, and nine. And we loaded up and we drove to see the ark. And, but it was impressive to see how large that thing was and how that you had to put compartments in it because if you didn't, you'd have all those animals together. And next thing you know, you got lions eating zebras and, you know, all that stuff. So you, you, you had to separate them. But it was really remarkable. And then I never really thought about how that the eight people that were on that ark had to have some place to live. There had to be some kind of accommodation for them as well because, you know, they, they couldn't just lay on the floor and, and that. And so during all that time that Noah was building that ark, they had to make it where they could live in it as well. So I, I would, and I, I have no stock in the place, but I, I think if you ever have an opportunity to go see it, I'd encourage you to go do it. It is, it is remarkable. It really is. And to think about how that a man that loved God would go to such extent to make that because of his love for God. Now notice in Notice what the Hebrew writer says about Noah. He says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so... Here, in, uh, let's, we see that there's just evil in men's hearts. If you read Genesis chapter 6, I mean, there, there, is, there is no regard for God. All they want to do is what they want to do, not what anyone else would tell them to do. You know, it's kind of like in the book of Judges. It says every man was doing what he thought was right in his own heart. He wasn't looking at what, what God's word said or what the, the prophets were telling them or the judges were telling them or anything else. They were just doing what they thought was right. And so God was trying to encourage. So here Noah is living in a generation of people that are just absolutely wicked. In fact, to the point that God is sorrowful that he actually made man because he has turned so far away from him. And so he's, he has made the decision in verse 7. It says, so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the first face of the earth, men and animals and creatures, that move along on the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them because of how wicked they had become. But verse 8 gives us hope. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, God uses a righteous remnant often. We'll see many times throughout the Bible where there's always just maybe a few and sometimes it's only one but God will bring about his plan through that righteous remnant to accomplish what he wanted to do through Jesus Christ for all of mankind and so here as a part of that righteous remnant we see Noah and it says Noah was a righteous man can you imagine living in a world where all there is is wickedness and you're the only one that chooses to do the right thing? 
You know, we live in a world today that's very much moving towards, I think, a lot of wickedness. And we need to be able to stand up. But notice it says he wasn't just righteous, but he was blameless among the people of his time. They couldn't point to him and say, you're just like us. That you act just like I do. You think just like I do. No, he was blameless. He was righteous because he sought after God. Now, it's interesting that here it says that he walked with God. So he's another person like Enoch that pursued God. He wanted to have a fellowship with God where all the rest of the world around about him wanted to have a relationship of whatever kind they wanted, whatever they thought was right in their own mind. Look at verse 11 of Genesis chapter 6. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth was and had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. I can imagine as God would come and say, I'm a, you kind of wonder, well, does that mean I'm going to be destroyed? But, but he goes on to tell him, he says, but I want you, I want you, so make an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And he gives him the instructions of how to do it. Now, the most remarkable part about all that is in verse 22 of chapter 6. It says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He believed in God and he knew God would save him from the pending doom that was coming. And that and so he did everything just as God commanded. That's why he would call him a man of faith. Now it says, told him of things that not, had not happened yet. He says, I'm going to destroy the earth. The only way anybody's going to be saved is through the ark. Because, and he talked about the floodwaters. Nobody didn't know what a flood was. He had never seen a flood. You can imagine as he looked and saw that there were, uh, and I, don't, I don't even know if there were mountains then. But as the, as the earth turned up and everything else, and it says that there was uh, at least nine feet of water above the highest point of the earth. At least nine feet. So that's a lot of water. And so as all of that came about, as, as he told him what he had to do, and every time that he was told what he had to do, it says that he did just as God had commanded him. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. It, it says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. He's going to raid for 40 days and 40 nights. And, but I want you to get these animals. I want you to build this ark. I want you to take you to get you to take your children and get in the ark. And, and your sons and their wives. You imagine there's eight people in this thing and all this work to do. But he had not only have to do that, he had to have enough feed 
for everybody, not just for themselves, but all these critters had to be fed too. So that was a daunting task. But every time God gave him a task to do, it says Noah did as God had commanded him. He believed in God, and he believed God would reward him if he diligently sought after him. And so as when God shut them in and the flood rains came, you can imagine there he was realizing the hope that he had been counting on because God said they would be spared. Now, you know, there's, there's quite a few places that, in the, that Noah has spoken about. Ezekiel was in his writing in chapter 14, tells the, the children of Israel, he said, I want to tell you how wicked you all have become. You're so wicked that only Noah and Moses would be saved from this generation. And then he later goes on in verse 20 of that same chapter saying that even the children of Noah wouldn't be saved because they're so wicked. The people are so wicked. It would be just Noah and the other two. So it was the righteousness of Noah is recognized by the prophets because he was a man that did exactly as God had said because he diligently sought after him, just like the Hebrew writer encourages us to do, is to diligently seek after God, because he'll reward us. And so, eight people were saved because of that. And then Peter talks about how that Noah preached to those that were being condemned. So the whole time he's building this ark... Noah's not just building an ark, but he's, he's telling the people that they needed to change. Unfortunately, there was no change. If you remember Jonah, when he went to Nineveh, he preached to them to repentance. Now, unfortunately, Jonah was the kind of guy that was hoping that there wouldn't be any revival that would take place. He wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed because they were his arch enemy. And so he goes and he tells them that they need to repent. And if they don't, destruction is coming. And lo and behold, the king goes and puts on sackcloth and ashes and calls all the people to repent and to turn back to God. And there is a great revival in the city. And Jonah's sitting out watching, moping, and complaining because God did what he said he would do if they repented. In Noah's day, he preached for them to change and they chose not to and destruction came their way instead of being saved through the flood. But God does bring righteousness to those that follow him, but not those that are corrupt. And that's what in the lesson that he was trying to help these people understand the Hebrews that he was writing to when he, when he was warned, but he didn't know anything about it, didn't understand what a flood was, didn't understand what that meant, but 
he built that ark to save his family. And by his faith, the world was condemned and he was counted for righteousness. And so we look at how that God can strengthen us and help us. So then in chapter 9, he, he goes and tells Noah, he says, I'm going I'm to give you a covenant so that you will understand that I want to allow this to happen again. That, that there is good news out of this flood. That there's not just bad things that happen, but there's good things. He tells him, look at verse 12. It says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you and the covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Wherefore, the rainbow appears in the clouds. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures and of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I will establish between me and all the life on earth. So God gave him a, is given us a covenant that he wouldn't destroy the world with a flood again because he, of his mercy and his grace. So that no longer would we have to worry about that and be condemned. And so Noah gave him the example of how a man that doesn't know what is going to happen, goes and does exactly what God says, and God counts it to him for righteousness' sake. And now he's, he's one of the great men and women of faith that were triumphant and is called righteous because he believed God. He wasn't righteous because he built an ark. He wasn't righteous because he fed all those animals. He was righteous because he believed that God would do what God said he would. And that's what he was trying to help these Hebrew Christians understand is that we need to believe that God is and that he those that diligently seek after him, he rewards them. Just as he did Noah. Noah was rewarded with life and saved from the flood as a result. Let's look at who is considered to be the father of faith. And I want to look at this in several different ways as we look at Abraham. Notice with me in, in uh, verse 6, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he later received as a promise, obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. God calls Abram. Abram has been in, the, it, we see every place, several different places he's been, the era of Chaldees, and then in Haran, he leaves Haran after his father dies, and he leaves Haran, and he heads towards the promised land. But before he goes, God wants to let him know something, and he's going to tell him seven things that he's going to do with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to do seven things with you. And I think many times we look at this, this promise that God made to Abram, 
is only three things. Well, a lot of times we'll talk about a great nation, a great land, and all the seeds or all the people of the earth to be blessed by you. But that's not all they promised, Abram. He tells Abram, he says, I will make you into a great nation. Now, in the Hebrew, that great nation, uh, many times when he talked about a great nation in history, and they would talk about it, it would be a, a healthy nation. But he's telling him here, he says, you are going to be a powerful nation. I'm going to make a powerful nation out of you, Abram. It's not going to be something that's small or even, but you're going to be one that is powerful. It will come from you. And so here God's emphatic that it will be a great and powerful nation out of his loins that's going to come. In Genesis chapter 15, he tells him of the promise of where that land will be. And then we see in the reign of David, it, it gives us at the end of his reign, it gives all the lands that was part of the tribe of Israel, and God fulfilled that promise to them. And so here I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And we see how that David becomes a king, and then Solomon and all of his glory, and how that, that has it. And it, he really did keep that promise then he says to him, and I will bless you. Now, I think sometimes we forget, but he tells him, second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. And so Abraham, Abram becomes, uh, he takes all these tribes of that, but we look later when he and Lot are in and make decision to, to go different ways, that their herds and there's so many people, they can't stay together. It's just the land won't support all of them. So Abraham, Abraham tells Lot, he says, you pick where you want to go, and then I'll go the other way. But you pick. Of course, we know that Lot saw that the land around Sodom and Gomorrah was really good, fertile land, and so he decided to go that way, and so Abraham went the other way. But God had blessed him richly. He had become very wealthy, but God said, I will bless you. And then he says to him, his third promise is, I will make your name great. Now, Abram means exalted father. And so he said, I, here he is, he's called exalted father. But he says, no, he says, I'm going to change your name. And we see in chapter 17, he does that. He changes his name. He's no longer be called Abram. You're going to be called Abraham. And the reason he's called Abraham is because he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to be the father. So it shows that there's going to be, uh, his name would be made great by that, by being changed so that people would understand that he was not just an exalted father, but he was a father of many nations. God was going to bless him that way. You know, I think there's only four people that are mentioned more times in the Bible than Abraham. Of course, Jesus is mentioned the most. But in, uh, he's mentioned 294 times throughout Scripture talking about his faith and talking about his character. It, it, it's just amazing to see. In, in chapter 17, we see that he is 
he says he's made the, in verses 1 through 8, he's made the father of many nations. But let's look over in Romans chapter 4 for just a minute. You know, this is a, um, uh, a phenomenal verse of Scripture talking about how that we have the kind of faith that is, um, that is a living faith and that, that God gives us. And he, he gives us, we, we know how that Paul talked about him in the, in the book of Galatians. We know how that uh, Paul talks many times about Abraham and, and how that he was one uh, of, that was a great person to follow. Let's, let's look at verse 9. Is this, he, he, well, he talks about Abraham's faith was credited him to righteousness' sake because it wasn't because of the covenant that God made with him on circumcision, but it was because of his faith. You can imagine, here he is living in a large area. Now, the city of Haran was a major travel route from the Mediterranean coast to Nineveh. And so there was a trade route that went through there. So there was a lot of commerce. Not only that, Haran was a city that was a worship center for the moon god Sin. So not only was it a, it was a, there was a lot of people there that were worshiping this, this false god, and it was a very busy city. And so here God tells him, I want you to leave there. Can you imagine, and I don't, I don't know whether Terah, his father, was an idolater. He may have been. He may have been. But we do know that when God called Abram and said, I want you to leave there and I will show you where to go. He didn't know where he was going. And somebody would ask, well, how did he know to go south? Well, you know, God gave him guidance. Some guidance, he didn't know exactly where he was going, but he told him he was going to make a great, give him some great land promise, but as he told him to get up and get out, he did. Now, he left his brother there. He didn't take his brother with him. And later we see he'll send to get a, a wife for Isaac there, around his near kinsman. But it was as God called them to move away from this place of, that was not a good place to build faith. He knew that he was going to develop this man because of the righteous heart that he had. That it was, he wanted him to develop and become the kind of person he would. Now notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? In fact, Abraham was justified. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he, would, he had something to boast about, but not before God. He wasn't justified by that he got up and left. He was justified that he trusted God. He believed God, and he believed that God, if he diligently sought after him, that God would reward him. Because God's making his promises to him. And so it says it wasn't because of the things that he did, the going that he did it. He went because he trusted God. It was that trust. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I get uh, amused sometimes as we study with people and try to help them understand that when, 
when they come to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and how they died for their sins, was buried and raised on the third day, and then, then we reenact that death and burial and resurrection in the watery grave baptism, they're kind of surprised. Well, why do I need to do that? Well, because you trust God. Because God says in that grave, he cuts away the old man and you raise up a new person. If you trust God, that's why you do it. It's not, I'm not baptized to be saved. I am saved because I trust in the blood of Jesus and I reenact that death, that brown resurrection as he asked me to. God's mercy is what saves me. So here is he, he said it wasn't, now when a man works, his wages are not credited him as a gift, but as obligation. So he, he, wasn't, God, he wasn't doing this to get paid. Abraham wasn't. He was doing it because he trusted God. Look at verse 13. It says, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith, that he trusted God, that God would do everything he said. So he said, I will make you a father of many, a great nation. I'll, I'll bless you. I will give you, you make you a, a great name. He says, but not only that, he says, the fourth thing I want you to do is I want you to be a blessing to others. I think we miss that sometimes when we look at the promise that God told him that the way he was going to live his life is that he was now going to be a blessing to others. We see that in how he worked with Lot. We see often as he in chapter 13, we told him to go and do what he wanted to do, where he wanted to live. And God blessed them because of it in, ch in chapter 13 and verse 14. And then when he comes and finds uh, the man, the high priest, Melchizedek, after the battle, Abraham gives him a tenth. He is a blessing to Melchizedek. And in return, Melchizedek is a blessing to Abraham. But God told him, I want you, not only as you are blessed, I want you to be a blessing to others. And so, as these people were understanding the Hebrews, that not only were they supposed to just persevere, but their lives were supposed to be that as they looked at this heritage that they have, is they should be a blessing to other people. And so that's why Jesus would tell the disciples, as you go out and wherever you go, share the blessing that you've received. Talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And then as those that hear that and listen and, and believe, then you can help them come and respond in faith and become a child of God. So just as Abraham did that, he was a blessing and he was blessed. And so as we look at our lives, we need to be people. If we're, we're people that we believe that God is and that we're diligently seeking after him that he'll reward us, then we too need to be a blessing to other people. I think one of the times with being a blessing to people, we... we uh, we don't want to be blessed. We like to do things for other people, but we feel, we feel a little hard about saying, I'm going to let somebody else do something for me. I, I really, I just don't want them to do that. But we need to let other people bless us too. 
just like when Abram went to Melchizedek, he gave him a tenth, but then Melchizedek blessed him. There was a mutual blessing that took place. And then he tells him, he says, and, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So he says, whoever causes you problems and curses you, I will take care of it. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we need to remember that as God makes promises to us, that we don't need to worry about those that curse us or that don't like us or that. We need to pray for them, but God will take care of that. That's, we don't have to worry about that. We can leave it at God, let God take care of it. And that's what he told Abram. He says, and whoever curses you, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And then the seventh thing, <coughs> excuse me, he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed by you, through you. Now look, look over in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 15. Paul writes to the church here in Galatia. They were struggling over whether uh, Judaizing teachers were coming in and saying that, uh, you, you can imagine, they walk in and say, was Jesus a Jew? Yes. Was Jesus circumcised? Yes. Uh, are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. Well, then shouldn't you be circumcised too? Because Jesus was. So these Judaizing teachers were putting strong emphasis on their heritage and on covenants that were made, but it had nothing to do with their salvation. And so Paul is trying to help them understand that that's not important. But look what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life, just as one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scriptures does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but as to your seed. meaning one person who is Christ. So he says that there's, God is working out his plan to bring Jesus into the world, and he's going to use Abraham, and Abraham is going to help establish a nation that God will segregate to help bring the seed Jesus at the right time, at the right place, so all men could be saved. And so he says it was... It was that that he was trying to accomplish. He says, <clears throat> what is it? Verse 17. He says, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. 
He tells Abram that he's going to go off into captivity, that he'll not really see the land. They're going to go off into captivity for 400 years. They're going to come out, it'll be 430 years before they come out in here. Then they will eventually see that they inherited the land that he promised. But even though Abraham would not ever, ever possess the land that God said he would have, his, his heritage would have, he still got up and he still left. Because he believed God with what God said to him. That God would perform and do exactly what he said he would do. And so those seven blessings. And look at verse 4 he says. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So he did exactly as God told him. And it was counted in him for righteousness because he believed God. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. And he believed that God would reward him because he, if he diligently sought after him. And that's what over and over again we see in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is he's trying to encourage us to remember we really need to believe in God. We need to have that assurance knowing that God, what God has done is doing and will do for us through Jesus Christ, and then live a life that is counted us for righteousness' sake because we have a strong faith that believes that God will do what he said he would do. Just as Abram believed when God told him to go, it says he took his wife Sarai, nephew Lot, and all possessions they accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, you know, it's, that's a really a quick verse, but it's hundreds of miles that they had to walk. And when you've got a lot of people and a lot of critters, you don't travel very far very fast. It's over a, a, a pretty long period of time. And if you remember in, in, in our nation, when people would leave out of St. Louis and head to the West Coast, it usually took three to four months them to get from St. Louis to California or to Oregon or wherever they were going. And so here we're, we're seeing that a long time transpires from the time that God called him to do that. And he takes off and he travels to the land. And when he gets close to where the land is, he remembers God and he builds an ark and makes a, a sacrifice unto God because God uh, has done what he said he would do. Next week we're going to look at we're going to look at some of these other items here in in Hebrews, where we, each time it says by faith Abraham, but it, we see how he first of all he went to his promised land, and we're going to look at the the other promise and how that God deals with that promise, and he also talks to Isaac and Jacob about that promise, and so that he re emphasizes it over and over again to them so that they remember I promised you this and my promises are sure and steadfast and you can count on it and that's the kind of hope they had was with strong desire with expectation that God would deliver what he said he would do and so as a result we see there were there we're going to see them as Abraham talked about the faith and that's why when we look at uh, in verse 6 I want to close with this verse 
We remember it said Enoch walked with God and he wasn't because God took him. He says, he says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those that earnestly seek him. Enoch believed that. Abraham believed that. And we're going to see these other people as we look through their heritage and see how that they lived their lives that God said that's how. They were counted to righteousness' sake. So I'd encourage you to read um, through chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. So chapters 13, 14 through 22. And we'll look at uh, further at Abraham next week. And uh, hopefully we can get a good understanding of how that God wants to bless us. Just as he blessed Abraham. I don't think he's going to bless us one bunch of sheep or cattle or that, but he wants us to be blessed, and he'll give us those things that we need, but he also wants us to be a blessing to others. That's the challenge we need to take on. When we're able to be a blessing to other people, it opens doors, and we can share a lot of the things with them. Hope you have a great week, and we'll continue our study next week.